the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now, what we want to focus on is how do we know that we're children of God? How do we know that we're heirs? The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 in these first uh, in verses 14 through 16 gives us three proofs of being sons. If you have these evidences or proofs in your life, then you can rest assured that you are a son of God. And if you are a son of God, then you know that you are an heir. And if you are an heir, you know that you will never be condemned because God's word promises that. What we really want to know is, how do I get to be a child of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Well, there's only one way for us. You see, God has only one natural son, Jesus. All the rest are adopted. That's why adoption is such an important word for us to study in our series of key Bible doctrine words. We've looked at a number of important words like redemption, justification, salvation, propitiation, and reconciliation. Today, we come to the end of the series with the word adoption. This is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson on the word adoption should be a fascinating one as we delve into the many facets of its meaning. Some adopt children because they love children. Some adopt because they want to have an heir to inherit their wealth. Some adopt because they know there are children that need a home. The biblical meaning of the word adoption includes all these ideas. And to put it into its proper New Testament context, we'll need to consider the word from both the Roman and the Jewish customs and practices, with the meaning that each gives to the word adoption. Now here's Pastor Steve. In our nation, many couples adopt a child because they just love children. Often they cannot have children of their own, so they go through that long legal process of adopting someone else's child. Now that is adoption American style. But when the Apostle Paul refers to the the term and the concept of adoption, and he does that in, in his letters, when he refers to that term adoption in the New Testament, he is thinking in terms of adoption Roman Empire style. He is not thinking of our concept of adoption. He's thinking of the Roman society's concept of adoption. In the Roman Empire, the husband, as head of the home, adopted a son in order to give him, primarily this was the reason, to give him his name and primarily for the inheritance, that there would be someone who would have his inheritance. In other words, adoption was not done out of uh, particular love for a child, or a a longing to care for a child. And there may have been that element there, but that was not the basic reason for it. You were adopted to carry on the family line and to inherit the estate. In ancient Rome, if, if you were adopted, you became an heir to your new father's estate. If 
other natural-born children entered the family after you, it did not matter. You were as much a child as that of that father as any natural-born child, and it, it did not affect the rights of the inheritance. You received as much as the other children. In fact, a father could have said, uh, my natural children don't get the inheritance, but my legal child, my adopted child does. But most of the time it was just divided up. Unlike in the, in the Jewish thinking where the oldest son received a double inheritance, in the Roman thinking all children were heirs. And that plays into the fact of what the Bible says, we are co-heirs and we are joint heirs together uh, with one another and with Christ. Now the Bible teaches that as Christians we have been adopted. And let's turn to Romans chapter 8 to see this. There are a number of places in Paul's letters in which he speaks of adoption, but Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, and then verse 17 even focuses on this concept. But Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now this is just one of many passages, there are a number of passages in which the Apostle Paul speaks of adoption. He speaks of it in, in Ephesians chapter 1, he speaks of it in Galatians chapter 4. And how this all ties together in Romans chapter 8 is Romans chapter 8 is about the one theme of security. Now many people take Romans chapter 8 to deal with sanctification, but in the flow of the book of Romans, it really makes sense and it really fits that it is about security. He opens chapter 8 with this statement, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you follow that line of reasoning, that theme throughout Romans chapter 8, he is still dealing with that concept of no condemnation. He ends chapter 8 with that very same concept. He says in, uh, in verse 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in between these two verses, actually the, the first verse and the last two verses, is all about condemnation, uh, about the fact that we are not condemned. And the Apostle Paul goes, on to prove that in chapter 8. Now, in the midst of chapter 8, in the midst of his argument that those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer condemned, in other words, we are not destined for hell because Jesus paid for our sins and we are in Christ, Paul gives an, a number of arguments, but, but when he gets to, to verse 14, he begins to give a new argument. And the argument is this, that we are sons of God. We are heirs. Because we are sons, we are heirs. We are no longer in a state of condemnation. And he assures us that we are the sons of God. And we are sons because we have been adopted. Now let me just clarify something. The reason that the Apostle Paul did not say sons and daughters is because in Roman society, only a son could inherit the estate, not daughters. But when he says sons, he is including all who are in Christ Jesus. He is including men and women. So I want you to understand that. In, in Christ, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither male nor female. 
That is not to say that our roles are the same, because they are distinct and they are different. But that is to say that in Christ there is no spiritual hierarchy. There is no one person who has more spiritual benefits than anybody else. He says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Well, certainly there's still Jew and Gentile. A Jewish person is still a Jewish person, a Gentile person is still a Gentile person. But what he means is that a Jewish person has no spiritual benefits over a Gentile believer. He also said there is no slave or, or free. Certainly in Paul's day there were slaves and they were free men. What he's saying is that a free man has no more spiritual benefit than a slave. And in Christ, neither male nor female certainly does not mean that there are no longer men and no longer women. It simply means that in Christ, we all have the same spiritual benefits. So he says that we are sons of God, and therefore, because we are sons, we know that we have been adopted. And follow his logic. His logic is if you are adopted, then just as a Roman son would inherit the father's estate. So if you are adopted, you certainly know that you will inherit the father's estate. When we die, we will inherit glory. All that belongs to Christ and all that the father gives to him will belong and does belong to us and we will receive that. That's why it says in verse 17, and if children, heirs also. If you are adopted, then you are sons. If you are adopted, then you are children. If you are children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Whatever, whatever God gives to his son, he gives to us. We are fellow heirs. And that's Paul's point. Now, what we want to focus on is how do we know that we're sons? How do we know that we're children of God? How do we know that we're heirs? There are a lot of people who make all kinds of professions, especially this day and age. Uh, we take too lightly someone's profession. We automatically, some of us, assume that because a person professed faith in Christ that they must be a believer. That's never where assurance comes from. The Apostle Paul, in Romans 8, in, these first, uh, in verses 14 through 16, gives us three proofs of being sons. If you have these evidences or proofs in your life, then you can rest assured that you are a son of God. And if you are a son of God, then you know that you are an heir. And if you are an heir, you know that you will never be condemned because God's word promises that. Just as a Roman father left his estate to his son, so God leaves his estate to us. So let's look at, uh, at, the, at the three proofs of sonship. See if you can pass the test. Now the first proof of being a son a son of God, is that you are led and directed by the Spirit of God. Verse 14, for all who are being led, speaking of the continual tense here, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And we hear that term led by the Spirit of God. What does that mean? There's a lot of flaky things that people could say about being led by the Spirit of God. Uh, a lot of people base their, their feelings on, on, uh, on being led of the Spirit. They sort of have a subjective feeling, and they say that's being led of the Spirit. And uh, it's strange, but uh, some people believe that, that God leads them to do things that the Bible does not address, and God leads them to do things that would be contrary to what the Bible teaches. Well, God does not lead people to do anything contrary to the Word of God. And so we want to understand what the Bible means by being led by the Spirit of God. Basic rule of interpreting the Bible is always check out the context. And the context you can find very very easily in verse 13, the end of verse 13, what he is talking about concerning being led by the Spirit of God. Let's look at verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you 
will live. In other words, the people who are putting to death the deeds of the body are able to do so because they, being sons of God, are being led by the Spirit of God to do so. In other words, what he's saying is only Christians, only a son of God deals with sin in his life. Only a son of God has has the conviction of the Spirit of God and by the energy of the Spirit of God is dealing with the sins in his life. He, he wants to obey. Uh, if you are consistently dealing with sin in your life, then you know God's Spirit is leading you. And if you know that he's leading you, then you can rest assured that you are a son because only his sons are led by his Spirit. Now, how does the Spirit of God specifically lead us in putting to death the deeds of the flesh? In other words, how does he, he lead us to obey him? That's what we're talking about now. How does he lead us to obey him? Well, the basic way is that as you spend time reading the Word of God, he works, the Spirit of God works in our hearts and persuades our wills so that we desire the things of God. Let's look at that in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. This is basically done through the Word of God. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. That means just be controlled by the Spirit as you spend time in the Word, the domination of the Spirit of God. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Then... Look over, jump down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. What he's saying is that the, the Spirit has a strong desire that we should be delivered from the deeds of the flesh. So He's constantly working in us. He is stirring our hearts. He is working in us and, and working in our hearts and wills to obey His Word and not the desires of the flesh. As you spend time in the Word of God, and God gives you an understanding of, of the truths of Scripture, He shows us where we've been disobedient. He shows us attitude problems. He shows us issues we need to resolve. And he gives us the strength and he gives us the desire to carry through on those things. You read a portion of Scripture about forgiveness and the Spirit of God brings to your mind somebody who you've not forgiven. And so you know that you need to forgive him. Need to forgive that person. Or the Spirit of God will bring to your mind uh, that you perhaps have been harsh towards somebody. You've been nasty to somebody. You need to go and apologize. Or the Spirit of God will bring to your, your mind as you're reading. You've not spent the time in the Word. You've not spent as much time in prayer. You, this is how the Spirit of God leads us. And He works on our hearts and He works in our minds. And He is constantly prompting us and pushing us to do what is right. If you sense that in your own heart, then you can rest assured that you are a son of God. If you read the Word of God, or you have no desire to even read the Word of God, and there is no prompting, there is no pushing, and you, you read about obedience, or you hear a message proclaimed, and you know that, that you need to do something, but you have absolutely no desire ever to do it, then you are not a son of God. It's as simple as that. See, it's the working and leading of God's Spirit that helps us to apply God's Word to our hearts. There's a second proof of sonship, and that's found in verse 15. Paul says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. That's interesting, to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption. Here's where he uses that term, adoption, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Before we were believers, we lived in fear. Uh, some of us were not conscious of that fear. Others were very conscious of it. 
Until I became a believer, I had a horrendous fear of dying, a horrendous fear of, of dying. I, I knew that if I died, I, I, uh, well, I knew that I didn't know what would happen to me is what I'm, what I'm saying. And, uh, tremendous fear. Uh, Paul called this a spirit of slavery, spirit of slavery. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15 clarifies this somewhat, where the writer says that he might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. For many of us, there was a spirit of slavery because a, a fear of guilt, a fear of judgment. We knew that things were not right with between us and God. We knew that we were not ready to die. We knew that there was, was something missing, and we, we, we sometimes tried to hide it and drown it out, but there was a spirit of slavery and a tremendous fear. But when you trust Christ, God puts his spirit in you, and there's a tremendous sense of freedom. And you enter into a new relationship. No longer are you a condemned slave, but now you are a redeemed son. And that's what Paul is, is saying. And that's, notice verse 15 again, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You once were in fear, but now you've received a different spirit. You've received the spirit of adoption. That is, when the spirit of God came into your life, he came in assuring you that now you've been adopted into a new family, God's family, and now you are a son. And the proof of that is that you cry out, Abba, Father. You say, I've never cried out, Abba, Father, in my life. What's this talking about? Well, the term Abba is an Aramaic word that is still used today, by the way, by, by Jewish people. You hear it much in, in Israel. It simply means Papa, Daddy, Dad. It is a term of intimacy. It is not the term Father, which is a fine term, but this is Dad, Daddy. Even if you struggle with the assurance of salvation, the Spirit of God continues to produce in you a, a subjective sense of your son-father relationship with God. God has given you that spirit of adoption whereby within you the Spirit of God cries out, Abba, Father. Every time you turn to God the Father in that sense of, of you're a son, he's a father, it is because the Spirit of God has prompted you to reach out to him as a father. So, one proof of sonship is that the Spirit leads us to obey him. It doesn't lead us to do crazy things. He leads us to obey him. The Spirit also prompts us to cry out, Abba, Father. If you have that in your life, then you are a son of God. Now, there's a third proof, and that's found in verse 16, a third proof of being a son, and that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, it's always the work of the Spirit of God here in this section of Scripture. What does this mean? One historian, I think, gave tremendous insight because he understood the Roman backgrounds of the concept of adoption. And here's what he had to say. He said, the adoption ceremony was carried out in the presence of seven witnesses. Now, suppose the adopting father died and there was some dispute about the right of the adopted son to inherit. Then one or more of the seven witnesses stepped forward and swore that the adoption was genuine. Thus, the right of the adopted person was guaranteed, and he entered into his inheritance. That was the Roman style of adoption. Now, what Paul is saying is that it is the Holy Spirit who steps forward in our lives and within us and testifies that we are legally children of God. You say, why? 
Why would, why do we need this? I'll tell you why. Because all of us blow it in our lives. All of us at times have rotten attitudes. All of us at times do things that resemble, uh, the unsaved. All of us at times rebel against God. And, the, and, and Satan is right there to, to whisper in your heart and you call yourself a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you really know that you belong to Christ? Look at you. Why not even your unsaved neighbor would yell at his wife the way you did? Not even your unsaved friends would storm out of the house and say those things. How do you really know you're a Christian? It's at that point when there are false accusations being thrown at you that the Spirit of God steps forward and says, you are a son of God. And he bears witness within you that you belong to God. This is the witness of the Spirit. It is internal. It is subjective. But it is also based on on the truths found in Romans chapter 8. It is the internal working of the Spirit of God that confirms that we are God's children. And you cannot silence that. You may have doubts at times. Our behavior may lead us to doubt at times. But the Spirit of God brings us right back to, to the truth that you belong to the Father. You are a child of God. Now, the point of Paul's teaching is simply to prove that we will never be condemned Never be condemned because we are adopted. We are adopted sons of God. And because we are adopted, there is no condemnation. There is a marvelous future that awaits us. Not condemnation, but verse 17 tells us the marvelous future. This is great. And if children, and he points out that that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you are a child of God, all that that he has will one day be yours in glory. One day. We are waiting now for our inheritance to become a reality in our possession. Whatever God gives to Christ, he's going to give to you. What does he give to Christ? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he's spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of what? All things. Through whom also he made the world. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. And how much do we inherit? All things. All things. In Matthew chapter 25, at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus uh, has the, the sheep go into the kingdom, he says, Come, beloved For the kingdom has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, all things are yours of what the kingdom uh, consists of. It all comes back to the glorious truth that there is no condemnation. No condemnation at all. Turn back to Romans chapter 8 and look at that again. There is therefore now, and he means not only now but forever, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear that you're going to lose your inheritance. You just need to assure your hearts that you are a son of God. Your salvation is secure, all because of Jesus Christ. You are not only saved, but you are adopted into the family. You are adopted into the family. You're also born again into that family, and that's how you receive the nature of God. But adoption is a legal term, and you are, and I are adopted sons, an heir of all things. Imagine that. All things. The universe is yours. That's the most wonderful news of the gospel. 
God made a way for us to become his children by adopting us into his family with all the benefits that that brings. We can inherit all of this, forgiveness for our sins, eternal life with God, peace and assurance that we belong to God forever, all of this by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement for our sin. You've heard Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson was one in the series of key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. Verse by Verse is a radio program with lessons taken from messages given at Lakeside Community Chapel. If you would like to have a recording of the entire message from which this program was extracted, you can get it on CD or audio cassette. Just call us at 727-239-0306 and we'll be happy to send it out to you. If you would like to worship with us at Lakeside Community Chapel, you can look us up on the internet at lakesidechapel.com or call the church office at 727-441-1714 for service times and information about the many other activities and ministries that are part of Lakeside Community Chapel. You can hear today's lesson again or explore the many other subjects on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, one word, dot O-R-G. They're available for free download. If God leads you to support the ministry of Verse by Verse, click on the box, Support Us, to find out how you can help keep this program on the air. Finally, we would like to thank those of you who are partnering together with Verse by Verse through your prayers and financial gifts. Most of our resources are available free of charge. Our goal is to provide biblical instruction and spiritual encouragement to as many people as we can. Partners like you let us do that. We really thank you for your help. Be sure to join us next time when Pastor Steve will begin a new series. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.